0: This is the Austin Life Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. How's everybody doing? Good? We are progressively getting better at this. This is great. I love it. I love it. One day we're just going to have a full-blown conversation here. It's going to be amazing. Um, It's going to be good. So uh, again, if I haven't met you, my name's Corey one of the pastors um, just quick background. we're coming up on in September, will be a year since we started services. So if you're like, "Hey, what's, what, tell me more about this church. We're pretty young um, in the whole life uh, of being a church. For the longest time, I didn't know that churches started. I just kind of always assumed they were there, and um, that when you move somewhere, you back in the day, um, back in the day wow. Um, back in the day before Google existed. Um, you, you would like look it up in a phone book or ask a friend or something. Um, now you just google it and you're like churches around me and it gives you your list. Um, but I just kind of always assumed they were there. I didn't know that they started um, but apparently they still start uh, and it's also incredibly needed. So once I learned about churches starting in, in school and that in order for in order for our country to just keep pace with the growth of a population and the Decreasing gap of, of those going to a church, then we probably need to start churches at about two times the pace we currently are starting churches just to keep pace with that. Um, and so our country is increasingly becoming an unchurched country. Um, and so it, it matters and it's important. And once I learned that, uh, there was just something kind of sparked in us. And we we're like, all right, one day we'll, we'll do this. And we pray to be a church that, that starts in, you know, new churches the same way we were. Uh, we want to send people out uh, to start new churches. Uh, regularly. And so we're coming up on almost a year of starting services. Our, our mission, the reason we are here at the end of the day, and, and if, you know, two, three, four, five years down the road, if this is not happening, then th- we'd want out. We're, we don't want to do it. The, the reason we are here is to lead people to life in Jesus. Um, so that song um, said, you know, all my hope is found in you, right? Like we, we believe that everyone in here, I think it's unanimous, wants to make the most out of life. Like no one wants to go a day, much less a month or a year or their lifetime, be like, yeah, I really kind of wasted that. Um, we all want to want to be ultimately satisfied. Um, and so we try to fill that satisfaction with a number of things, um, jobs or, or money or relationships or families or things or whatever. And, and what we all know, I believe, in our soul is that none of it ultimately satisfies. Like we're, we're never going to be maximally complete um, with those things. The Bible teaches that we're created to be satisfied in Jesus to have a relationship with Christ to know him personally and that that is what fills us and satisfies us and what we're created for to honor and glorify God and so as a church that's what we want to do uh, for however long you're here we hope that you will know Jesus more um, and love him more because you're a part of this church uh, and, and that is our mission if, if you're um, trying to figure out how to get more connected uh, there is this thing called the connect card there's some on that table there there's some out there um, you could always fill this out and we'd love to follow up with you, uh, help you get more connected, maybe just answer questions um, or, or just talk more. There's also an app. Um, I don't have my phone on me, otherwise I'd show you. Um, the app is pretty, pretty swanky. I like it. Uh, so on the app, it gives you your upcoming events and, and dates um, that for me, I can't keep track of anything. And so I need something really all put together for me and it gives me all the upcoming events and things coming up. Um, also, this thing, apparently, you can fill out digitally. Who knew um, that everything can be done online now? So you can do that on the app. Um, so if you have a smartphone and you want to download an app, it is free. Uh, and, and then that way, you can stay connected that way. Um, so anyways, let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into Psalm 145. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we, uh, as we open your word, we ask that you would speak to us. There are a lot of words that we can read, a lot of words that we can hear. Um, in our own minds, God, there is a conversation constantly going on in our heads. Um, and the one voice, the one, the, the words that we need is, is your voice, your word. Um, and so would you cut through all the distractions that no doubt are represented in this room? Um, would you cut through all the different voices and, and just, you know, just different things that we're hearing um, that we would hear what you have for us today? I believe, God, your word tells us that you, your word is living and active. You speak to us today. Um, I also know that it's, it's sometimes challenging to hear you. And so would you help us remove whatever we need to remove? Would you help us to hear your voice? Um, because, God, we believe that is the best thing we can get today is your word, your truth. It's in Christ that we pray together. Amen. So Psalm 145. Um, we've been going through the Psalms this summer. Um, and as we wrap up, we'll kind of transition a little bit in, the, in September. We'll talk a little bit about our vision and mission. Um, and then we're going to do a study on humility. And then a study through Jonah. And then we're going to be at Christmas, which is wild to think about. Um, and so just to give you a little foretaste uh, of where we're going um, as, we, as we end up in the Psalms. So one of the reasons that uh, I just I felt compelled to, to go into the Psalms is you see the phrase in the Psalms a lot. The Lord is... And then it fills in the blank for, for who the Lord is. Um, and so we, we believe that life is this, I mean, it is the ups and downs. And if you're like, oh man, my life is too much of a roller coaster. It's too tumultuous. Like surely no one's as messed up as me. Read the Psalms um, because you feel very comforted because David was all over the place. If you're like, man, I've never felt so, I don't think I've ever doubted God more in my entire life. It's okay, so did David. It's cool, right? And if he's a man after God's own heart, like there's grace, there's room for us as well. Um, and so you just see this up and down wrestling match um, with God. But, but so much of really everything that David's faith and hope was anchored to was who the Lord is. Not in himself because he knew that he's all over the place. So he anchored to who the Lord is, the unchanging nature of God. And that's what steadied him. That's what carried him on. And so we just wanted to look at different Psalms. Say, okay, who is the Lord? You know, what, 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 what is he? What are his characteristics? As we get to Psalm 145, We see in verses 1 through 3 uh, that this is a psalm of praise, of praising and, and, and rejoicing in who God is, and it's because the Lord is great. So we'll read verses 1 through 3. David says, I will extol you, I will praise you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. And so this whole psalm is a psalm about the greatness of God and how the greatness of God should naturally result in our praise. That, that when we're seeing and understanding how great God is, when our, our eyes are lit up and, and in awe of the majesty of God, the natural result then is, is praise. And so we can then also work backwards and say if our hearts and our lives are lacking praise, we're also probably lacking a good view of the greatness of God. So if, if you can say and assess for yourself, like, yeah, I don't know that I extol the Lord forever and ever, every day, bless his name. Like if, if that's lacking, which yes, guilty, I'm there. Um, then I also know there's probably a lack in my view of how great God is. In my awe of him, because the greatness of God results in the praise of God. And, and so t- we just wanna look today at the greatness of God. Next week, we're actually gonna stay in Psalm 145 and spend, um, we're, we're gonna spend a good bit of our time um, doing kind of an open mic testimony sharing where, where we as individuals and as a church are declaring the greatness of God. That's what you see in the first half of Psalm 145. He's like, I will declare the greatness of God to others. And so that's what we're going to do. So go ahead and start thinking about that, right? If, if you've seen the greatness of God in your life, if there's a way you're like, God is incredible. I've seen this in my own life and others, um, then we want to publicly share that with one another. If you hated your speech class um, in, in high school or in college or something, now is a chance to redeem it. Um, oh, or you don't have to, it's okay. <laughs> Either way, but um, we just want to do what the psalm does and, and publicly declare God's great. We want to shine the spotlight on God through our lives. So just be thinking about that uh, for next week. But today we're going to spend our time in really in verse 17, um, but, but also maybe a little bit of 14 to 20. Last week I was long. I told Mike and Stephanie I'm not going to be this week. Just don't hold me like tightly to that um, because sometimes I just, never mind. We're just going to go. I'm wasting time. Wasting time. Focus here. Focus. So Psalm, we're going to read verses 14 through 20 um, together. So verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous. In all his ways, and kind in all his works, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. So there's a lot, gosh, there's a lot that we can talk about in here, um, and, and there's just no way that we're going to get to it all. Uh, but but one thing I I, I want to draw our attention to that makes God great. Is that God is actively engaged in our lives? Like, God, the, the God of this world, of this universe, is actively involved in your life, in my life, in our world today. He is actively involved. Like, these verses just point out that God is doing things in our lives, that He is engaged in our lives. Anyone ever struggled with that? Like, just kind of wonder, like, God, are you really involved? Like, I see, God, what you do in the Bible. I see in the New Testament, Jesus, how you heal people and how you you cast out these demons and the blind see. But like, today, in 2019, do you really still do these things? Like, God, the Lord of the world, I'm one of eight billion at this point. I don't know. Do you really reach into my life and do things I mean, if you were to read my my journal over the last few years, I I have wrestled with this. I mean, just genuinely think, okay, God, I am praying and asking for this, and nothing. Like, just absolutely nothing. So, God, is this real? Do you do do this? Have you ever felt forgotten? Or, like, maybe God's here, but maybe not. I don't know. One of my, I mean, again, David, thank you for writing his authenticity. Psalm 13, I read this last week, I think. Verse one, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So if you've ever felt like forgotten by God or that maybe he's not hearing you or something seems off, so did David. And, and that's okay. Um, I, I think if we're all honest, we all feel that way at times. But the Lord is actively engaged in our lives. That's what the Bible shows us. There's a, a, a belief about God um, that has been around for years and still exists, which is called deism. Deism. So deism is the belief that there is a God, a, a designer and creator, who meticulously put together the universe and the world and created all of life and then kind of spun it into motion and then stepped back and is now hands off with everything. That God is there and he exists, but, but after he created everything and put it into motion, he just stepped back and what happens, happens. Like he's not going to intervene in our lives, he's not going to intervene in history, he's just going to kind of let the thing run its course. Um, There is an illustration of a clockmaker, that a clockmaker would, would sit there and put all the things together and then after intricately designing this clock would kind of get the pendulum started and then just step back and watch the clock do its thing. And so that's the idea of deism, that there is a deity, a God, but he's a very impersonal unengaged, just sitting back, like what happens today for you, that's just on you or the natural courses of life. Like you can talk to this God, but he's not actually going to do anything in your life. He's not going to step in and and engage. And that is not what the Bible teaches about the God that we worship. The Bible tells us that God is engaged in your life. The Bible tells us that the Lord of all creation sees you. That, that according to Psalm 139, you aren't just this natural result of, of your parents. You were intricately formed by God. That, that your shape and your personality and your characteristics, like those were all designed and put together by God. That your season of life and your circumstances right now, whether good or bad or, or, or whatever is happening that God knows and he's engaged and he hears and he's not just some distant passive deity that's like, hey, best of luck to you. Maybe it'll work out. But that he, he moves near in the beginning to the end. God is a God who moves near in our lives. And Gosh, I believe that somebody needs to hear that today. That God sees you today. And he knows what's going on. And he cares. And he does move in our life. That he is actively engaged in our life. That is huge. Massive. To think that, that God today is, is here and living and among us. So often we, we go through life as if, as if he's just non-existent, but he's present, he's here. That's incredibly good news, and that's what we see in Psalm 145 and in the Bible, that God, he, he acts. He, he does works in our lives. He has ways for our life. And then what we see in verse 17 about that is that the Lord is righteous in all of those ways and that he is kind in all of those works. So the Lord is involved and he's engaged and he, he's not just passive. He's, he's in our lives. He has ways for our lives. He has works in our lives. He's righteous in all of those ways and he's kind in all of those works. He's, he's righteous in all of them. He so let's, let's talk about that for a second. Like I was, go, I, I just, I've been stuck on that one verse over and over and over again. Like, so you read that, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Just take a second, what comes to mind? When, when you see verse 17, Robert, can you thought verse 17? Um, when you see and you read this, what, what thoughts come to mind? Questions, just, you don't have to answer it, just think about it for a second. For the God who's involved in our lives, this is who he is. This is how he interacts in our lives. That he is righteous in all of his ways. and He is kind in all of his works. And so let's just talk, let's define that. The word righteous is not a word we use a ton. It simply means the state of being right. So for someone or something to be righteous, it means that they are right in everything. In all of their thoughts, in all of their ways, in all their actions, they are right. You're never going to find them making a wrong turn. You're never going to find them saying, oh, man, I messed that one up. Like, they're just right all the time. To be righteous is to be right. And so the Lord who is righteous never does the wrong thing. Never makes the wrong decision. Never makes the wrong turn. I, again, thank you, Google. I, I, I Google this week is like, what's the average number of decisions a person makes per day? Any guesses? Aver- average per day number of decisions. So how many? 70. 70? Okay. 2,500 Two, 2, one? Right, one. You must get that one in there. Anybody else? Let's get one from this area. Come on. Average number. Shoot it, shout it out. 50? 150. The average number of decisions a person makes a day is 35,000. 35,000 decisions per day. So I'll go ahead and do the math for you. Um, And not in my head, I wrote it down. Um, That means approximately 245,000 decisions in a week and approximately 13 million in a year. I don't know how long we're going to live, so I didn't do a lifetime. I mean, so, yeah, I'm like, okay, so let's think about it, right? Alarm goes off, am I going to wake up? Like, am I going to get out of bed? Or am I going to hit the snooze? Am I gonna hit the snooze again? Am I gonna hit the snooze again? Right, so there's four, five, six, depending on how many times you snooze, um, before you even get out of bed. Then you're thinking, am am I gonna get up and turn on the coffee, or am I gonna wait for Stephanie to get up and turn on the coffee, right? Like, am I gonna go take a shower today? It's been a couple days, should I do that now, or, right? So we're making relatively cognitive decisions all the time. Am I gonna step to the left, am I gonna, right? All these things are happening, 35,000 a day, right? The Lord never makes a wrong decision. From day one to day eternity, in all of his ways, and all of his decisions, he never makes a wrong decision. I make wrong decisions all the time. And they affect me, and they affect you, and they affect my family, and they affect all these other people. Like all these wrong decisions that negatively affect, and I'm just one person. The Lord never makes the wrong decision, never goes the wrong way, never has to say, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up on this one. He is righteous in all of his ways. Every single way he goes is right. From the very beginning through all of eternity, he is righteous. He is also kind in all of those works along the way. So he's making decisions, and they're always right, and he's working throughout those decisions. and Every work within those decisions is kind. In all of his works, he is kind. Again, 35,000 decisions each day, um, and and many of them are not kind. The word kind means loving or caring, um, but it's not like this kind of soft pushover loving and caring. It's I love you and care for you enough that I'm going to act kindly and do what is best for you. So the word kind, it's this loving and caring action that has what is best for you in mind. Is that I genuinely want the best for you. And every work that the Lord does is kind. Every single one. And so we have this God who is right in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. From day one through all of eternity, everything is right, everything is kind. Now, when we read that and you thought about it, I, I think, you know, sometimes, and, and I asked some people throughout the week, I was like, what are your initial thoughts? And one response I got back is, like, I read it and I just kind of gloss over it. Like, gee, that's nice, thanks. Awesome. The Lord is righteous and kind. Um, and, and I get it. I think this, if you've been in church for any history, like, those are probably things you've heard growing up. And it's like, all right, that's awesome. But, but then I think if we think about it for a little bit longer, and we start to raise some questions for this, Right. If the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works, what do we do with the things in life that do not seem right, right and do not seem kind? Like, what do we do with these good people that have incredibly bad things happening in their life? How is that right and kind? Is the Lord involved? Like, is, he, is, is that him or is he this deist God that's just passively letting things happen? Like, what do we do with the, the bad things that happen. If the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works, what do we do with parts of the Bible that we read that do not seem right and do not seem kind? What do we do with Adam and Eve who sinned once and were booted from the garden and not only kicked out of the garden, but there was an angel with a flaming sword placed to keep them from getting back in? What do we do with the flood when the whole world, save a few that fit in an ark, were wiped out? Like how does that seem right and kind? Because we can't just say like, oh, the Lord is righteous and kind. When it works for us, we have to be able to apply that over all of life. What do we do with that? What do we do if the Lord is righteous with the fact that I am not at all? If he's righteous and I'm not, how how do those go together? So these are just some of the questions that once I started thinking through it, I I just couldn't get away from verse 17. And so my apologies that we won't get much beyond verse 17 um, today, but but I think that's okay, right? So what do we do with these questions? Let me just first say, odds are you're not going to walk out of here and be like, I have all my questions answered. Bring it. Why do good things happen, or bad things happen to good people? I'm ready to go. Like, there's still going to be some wrestle because we, we just are finite and broken. So there's going to be a part of that. But I think we can see some truth in Scripture that gives us hope and starts to answer some of these questions and how they fit. So a couple, a couple foundational things to think about as we, as we look into this. So one, it is impossible for God to lie or to do evil. So when, we, when he says he is righteous in all of his ways and kind of all of his works, we have to know, we have to say, okay, let's, let's take the whole Bible then, and the Bible tells us it is impossible for God to lie or for God to do evil. Hebrews 6, 16 through 18 um, gives us some of these verses about the impossibility for God to lie. Um, I'm going to look there rather than take the time. So for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So we, we see that. We see it in Titus chapter 1, the impossibility for God to lie. James chapter 1 says it is impossible for the Lord to tempt us with evil. So James chapter 1 uh, verse 13 it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So it's in, it, by his characteristic, by who God is, the fact that he is righteous, it means that he is right. It means that what happens in this world that God is involved in, it is not evil, and it is not sin. He is not doing something outside of his character, because if he did, he would no longer be God. Right? If a, if a fish stops breathing with gills in water, it is no longer a fish. What makes a fish fish is that it has gills and it breathes in water. What makes God God is his characteristics that he is righteous, that he cannot lie and he cannot do evil. If he could, then he would no longer be God. And so if the things that we see in the world and in the Bible, if it's God actively doing evil, then we have to say, okay, let's just, we can just toss this whole thing because by his characteristics and by his nature he cannot sin, he cannot do evil. Another thing that I think gives us a foundation to answer some of these questions is the Lord's ways are not our ways. So his ways are righteous and sometimes the ways he goes are going to make no sense to us. So Isaiah 55 8-9 um, gives us some, a great verse just to understand that right so It says, God is speaking here, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the Lord is righteous in all of his ways, and sometimes we look at his ways and we're like, time out, that doesn't seem right. And it's okay to bring those questions to God, but we have to know also, he's God and we're not. And so there's going to be a knowledge gap that we are never going to understand. Otherwise, he's not God. If we can fully understand and know the things about God, let's be honest. You may be incredibly bright, but that makes him a pretty small God. There has to be a knowledge gap. Otherwise, he is no longer God. There has to be something that he's, ways that he sees that are different than, than, than us, and that's what makes him God. It, so we all know this too, right? As parents, as kids. Right, where, where kids, they see the way it should be, and as parents, we're like, that way is wrong, but they're like, no, 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 this way is right, and you're like, okay, and you're gonna die. Like, that's not gonna go well for you. But as kids, you just don't see it, you know? As kids, you're like, I can handle social media, and as parents, we're like, no, your frontal lobe is still not fully developed and can't handle this. Like, there is biologically something that you cannot see that we can see. Th- there are perspectives that... you just cannot understand. But we've been there. We've fallen on our face. We know what comes with this turn. And so we understand that. And so there has to be that reality that sometimes we're going to look at things that God does. And for us, we're going to go, nope, that can't be. And God is saying, hey, 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 my ways are higher than your ways. I've been here. I've done that. I've seen that. I, I know that it may seem rough. I know that you're calling, hey, that's not fair. You got to trust me. I know. And so if we can understand that humanly, then I think it's okay for us to say, okay, there's going to be things that God does that for us, as much as we try, it's not going to seem right. But his ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we we can place some faith and some rest in that. And the, the third thing that we I think are, are foundational is just to know that the Lord is working good in all things for those who love him. So Romans eight twenty eight promises that for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, he is working good. He, he's, he's got a plan and he's bringing it towards good. So I think these give us some foundational pieces to wrestle with. Okay, how is the Lord righteous in all of his ways? How is he kind in all of his works? So if the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind of all of his works, what do we do in our own lives when things don't seem right or don't seem kind? I, 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 we don't have to do a show of hands. I know it's 100%. There's 100% of us who have said, there are things that have happened to me that were not kind and were not right. How in the world are those things okay? 100%. I think um, I don't think I mean. I just think history has proven that oftentimes it's it's through those bad, through the hard, through the suffering, that some of the greatest good comes. Right? It's only through the trial, only through the challenge, that, that some of the greatest good comes. Um, think think about uh the, what, what's the I think it was I don't know, Nike or No Fear I don't know the No pain, no gain. I don't know who came up with that. Right? No pain, no gain. Right? like You've got to go through some pain to get to gain. Anyone who's done any type of sport or learned a craft or been to school or whatever, th- there comes a point where you're like, I, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, you're, you're, you're running and you're near passing out and your body's like, hey, this hurts. This isn't good. And yet, you know, in order to get to this point, you've got to go through that pain, right? You want to you be a doctor one day? There's going to be a lot of hours and a lot of dollars spent um, that you're like, this doesn't seem right or very kind right now, but there's a good that the only way to get there is through that, right? And so we know that sometimes we're like, this was not okay, and this hurts, and this doesn't seem kind, and yet God in his sovereign way above us knows that there is a good on the other side, that the only way we're going to get to that good is through the fire, some quotes that I read that I just absolutely love, Charles Spurgeon, he said, they who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. I really love this one. It's a Scottish theologian, Samuel Rutherford, who was, was put in the, the cellars of prison, and he, he reminded and found contentment in that, and he said, the great king keeps his best wine in the cellars. I was like, all right, that's a way to look at things. Psalm 66 has been a passage of encouragement for me. Over the last season, it's just, it's been a tough. It's been a tough run. And in Psalm 66, he says, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Now, now listen to this. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You've brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Sometimes there's bad things that happen, and and let's just call it what it is. It's hard. It's bad, and yet in his ways and his sovereignty and in his kindness, he knows that it's only through that that there's a place of abundance that he wants for you that we'll never know unless we go through that fire. We'll never know unless we go through that suffering. We see that in the story of Joseph who was sold by his brothers into slavery and was taken to slavery in Egypt, an Israelite as a slave in Egypt. And then he's falsely accused for rape and thrown into prison. And then in prison, he's got these, these upper tiered leaders within the government who he says, hey, when you get out, like, tell, them, tell them about me tell them that I can. I have these skills of interpreting dreams, and they're like, hey, we got you, man, we'll do that for you. They get out, and they forget about him, and so he's in prison more and more, but then eventually, God uses him and his gifts to rise to second in command of all of Egypt, and it's there, as a famine comes, that Joseph is able to give wisdom and leadership and say, hey, here's how we survive this famine, and it's by that leadership that his family, the very family that sold him into slavery, is able to get food and survive in the nation of Israel, of which jesus eventually comes from survives that famine because joseph went through the fire to rise to second in command if joseph doesn't navigate that then he never gets to that place where he is the one used to take them through the famine and israel doesn't continue but it's through that journey of suffering that the greatest good comes it doesn't make it easy or comfortable but we can trust that there's a good coming through it because the Lord is righteous and kind. And in his kindness, he's bringing us to a place of abundance that only comes through the fire. And we can rest there. So what do we do with different things we see in the Bible that don't seem right and kind? What do we do with some of God's judgments and punishments that, that just, I mean, just don't seem Right or kind. So again, we've got to start with what does it mean that God is righteous? It means that God always does what is right. And that includes punishing the guilty. God is righteous, and so therefore, He has to punish the guilty. He has to stay true to his word, and in Genesis 2, 17, in the very beginning, before anything sinful or broken entered the world, God said this. He said that you can eat of any tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Romans six twenty three says that the wages of sin is death. The the command, the law of the land set by the creator and God of the universe, which unless you and I that I don't know about are the creator and God of the universe, we don't get to make that call. So the God of the world, the creator of everything, sets the law of the land, and the law of the land is this. Hey, follow me and reflect my image, but if you walk away from me, if you eat of the tree, if you do your own thing, the result of that is death. Physical death, yes, but ultimately spiritual death and separation from his presence. That is the result of sin, of, of violating the law that God gives to us. And God has to stay true to his word, otherwise he's a liar and he does not live up to his characteristics of being righteous. And so he is bound by his word to punish the guilty. And so when we look at Adam and Eve and you are like, okay, that's one sin, right? They're still guilty. Let's step into a courtroom here today. Let's put ourselves in a courtroom. And and here's the scenario. Here's the scenario. You've got a loved one, let's say a sister, who was just walking home one day, but also coincidentally, there was a man who got let go of his job. Same day, same same afternoon, he gets let go of his job and his world starts to fall apart. He's starting to put together, how do I pay my bills? What do I go home and tell my family? Like I'm so embarrassed, I'm so humiliated. I don't know how to get this done. We just bought a house. So all of these things are maybe flooding through his mind and to escape and to get away from the pressures and the hurts of everything, he just stops into the bar and he has a drink and a drink turns to two drinks and then two turns to four, turns into six, and he's just trying to numb himself from the pain and the hurt because he doesn't know what to do with it. This isn't his personality, it's not his character at all. He just... I mean, he just hit bottom, right? So now he's no longer in his right frame of mind. He gets in his car, he's gonna drive home, and, and not paying attention, he hits your sister. But he's he's ultimately a real pretty good person, and so he knows like I have messed up here. He stays, the, the police and the ambulance comes and he's trying to help as best he can, but in that he's going to be arrested for, I mean, at least involuntary, you know, involuntary manslaughter or so, you know, he's gonna be arrested. So when the day comes, we're in court, and we're sitting here, and this man is standing before the judge, and the judge is looking at his, his, you know, his history and everything. He's like, "Okay, what happened, and he walks through the story, and he's like, hey, man, I've got a good life and a good background. I've never done anything like this in my entire life. Like, I just hit bottom, and and I, I was just trying to get away. It was a total accident. I stayed, and the judge is like, you're right. You know, like, your history shows you're a good person. You do good things. This is not normal for you. You've never done this before in your life, you know. All right, no worries. Just don't do it again. As the family of that sister, is that judge righteous? Absolutely not. Is his sentencing kind? No. That's not, that's not kind to, to let the guilty go. And so if we can sit here for one offense and say, no, that's not kind or just or right. You've got to punish the guilty. What do we do then when we 're standing before the God of this world, and we 've got a laundry list of offenses against him we 've walked away from him all the time, like what do we? He has to punish the guilty, otherwise he is no longer right, and he is certainly not kind and so with Adam and Eve, he has to stay true to that in order to be righteous with with the flood he 's not punishing the innocent he 's punishing the guilty, the judgment is towards the guilty. He told them, here is what comes from your sin. They broke the law. And so I know that it seems harsh, and it's like, ah, time out, couldn't he do it a different way? And again, this is the law of the Lord. And so we see his righteousness has to result in that way, but we also see his kindness at the same time. Because if, if the Lord is so desired, He could have been just and right in one sin, and it's done. That was the command of Genesis 2, 17. You eat this, and you surely you shall die. So Adam and Eve could have died on the spot, and the Lord would have still been right. Every person that, that died in the flood, they could have died the first time they sinned, and the Lord would have been right. But it's his kindness that delays his judgment so that they have a chance to turn and to trust him. And so we see God's kindness over and over and over again in all of these cases because he's patiently waiting for those of us, all of us who rebel against him to see our ways and to surrender our lives to him and to repent. And so even in these moments where we read the Bible and we're like, this doesn't make sense, God's judgment is towards the guilty, but he's been kind and merciful in delaying that judgment so that they have time to, to trust him and to repent and to turn from their ways. so we see that played out. We see his kindness, which is then how it applies to us. What do we do with the fact that we are not righteous and God is righteous? That that God expects us to be righteous, that God expects perfection from us, and we can't deliver. What do we do with that? Because as the righteous judge, he has to punish the guilty of which I am. And I'm gonna assume, so are we, all of us. For him to be righteous, he has to punish our sins. Yet he's also kind. And he delays that punishment so that the punishment for our sins could be placed on someone else. And so 2 Corinthians 5.21, says that God made him who knew no sin. So God made Jesus, who was sinless, who was righteous, to be our sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So God's righteousness demands that he punish our sin. But in his kindness, he made a way for our sin to be placed on Jesus so that the punishment for our sins could go towards him. He is still righteous. Our sins are still punished, every single one of them it's just if we've trusted Christ the punishments on him so in his righteousness he punishes the sin but in his kindness he sends us a way of escape and rescue in Christ and his mercy delays his judgment so that we can have time to hear the good news of life in Jesus and surrender our lives to him so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made righteous in Jesus And so he is right in all of his ways. He is right to punish our sins. And praise God, he is kind to send us a way of escape. That our sins in full, from the first one to the last one, can be placed on Jesus. And that in his kindness, he rose from the dead so that with him, you and I can live forever in heaven with God. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, our sins may be forgiven, but as soon as we die, we're done. But because Jesus is alive, you and I can forever live in heaven with God. That is his kindness and his righteousness coming together perfectly in the person of Jesus. We see that with Adam and Eve. We see that in the flood. We see that in everything in between. And Jesus is the fulfillment of God's perfect righteousness and his kindness coming together. And so he's right in all of his ways. He's not going to do anything wrong. And he's kind in all of his works. And you and I can know the fullness of that by trusting in Jesus, by placing our hope in him alone. That the righteous wrath of God will be poured out on Jesus instead of me. And that in his kindness I will be made righteous through the works of Jesus. That is how the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. That is good news for us today that we can be the recipients of that I told you there's I I wish that we could just keep going but I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here I I, I just want to conclude with the the verses before 14 and 16 18 to 20 we see the Lord acting and and doing good being near upholding satisfying fulfilling desires and and what I want to say is those fulfillments are conditional The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The the Lord satisfies the desires of those who fear him. Is it the, the blessings, the fullness of the blessings of God are made available to us by faith. When we trust in Christ, then the fullness of God's blessings are given to us. Yes, we see this in the Psalms that God is still kind to all, but we have to know that God is righteous and kind and the way that the full blessings of the heavenly places are given to us is by faith alone in Jesus he does the full work we just get to be the recipients but if we think that we can be the full recipients and not surrender our lives to God we're kidding ourselves we're living in disobedience we're walking away from him but if we surrender to Jesus he does the full work for us and by faith alone we're given the full blessings of the heavenly places in Christ. So that was just my last summary on this verses. My apologies for not doing more. The Lord is righteous in all of His ways. Even when it doesn't make sense, He's right. And He is kind in all of His works. Sometimes those hard things in life are the kindness of God to not leave us where we are but to move us to a better place. And in faith we And we we can't see much more beyond this, but God sees and he knows and we can trust and surrender our lives to him and know that he is righteous and kind in everything he does. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thanks for speaking to us and for giving it to us that we could know you. God, would would you make us keenly aware of our guilt against you and that you are righteous and we are far from it. Not that we would live in guilt and shame, but that we would be in awe of your kindness to come and to forgive our sins and to make us right through the person of Jesus alone. We can work all day long to try and make ourselves righteous and we just won't. But Jesus, you did everything for us. And so would you would you would you speak to our minds and our hearts of that truth? Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to believe. I want to invite you to take a minute and just stay stay as you are. Um, your eyes are closed keep them closed just whatever but just to listen to the voice of God listen for his voice God, so often we don't trust you and we we try to set out to do our own things that seem right and kind in our eyes and our minds and we just further mess things up. My apologies for not trusting you. Would you increase our faith? Jesus, we ask, amen. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.